Welcome everyone to the Art of Game Mastery. I'm John. This is my co-host Jack, and we're joined today with uh, Tramer. Do you do you go by Tramer or Brandon? Yeah, you can go ahead and go by Brandon. Brandon, all right. Brandon's joining us. He's a uh, he's DM'd for well, GM'd I guess for his first few times recently. He's going to be joining us for a bit of a back and forth interview Q and A thing today. Um, before we get started in this, don't forget to you know like like this on Twitch and uh, we can't subscribe yet for our affiliate or whatnot. But um, once we post to YouTube, this will be up in a couple days. Remember to like and subscribe and all that jazz there as well. It really helps us out get our, our videos shown to a wider audience. Um, so yeah, if you want to dive right in, Jack, you want to kick us off with the first question for him. First of all, why don't you tell us a little about yourself, Brandon? How you got started with well, tabletop RPGs and all that stuff. Uh, back when I was younger, had a couple in-person games, though I uh, didn't really have any groups after that, but I was always interested. Ended up uh, finding Roll20 and uh, got into some good stable groups and been loving it ever since. Cool. Did you uh, you start with 5e? Is that where you started? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Awesome. And you're pay, a... playing all kinds of games now, right? You're playing Pathfinder, mm-hmm. Fate, you're GMing Starfinder. Um, you've played, I think, did you play the Call of, Call of Cthulhu? Call of Cthulhu stuff or no? Haven't haven't played Call of uh, Cthulhu yet, but I definitely want to. Okay. Cool. The dark is, sci-fi horror. That is like the poster uh, child for Roll Twenty, right there. Like, found good groups on Roll Twenty. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Now it took a lot of trial and error. There was more unstable groups that fell through than stable ones but eventually you find those diamonds in the rough it looks like my camera might have foobarred on me give me one second yeah you look rather inquisitive john, john <laughs> inquisitive. So, while john's working on that um okay so we've already asked you if this was your first time um for gming so we're up to how many sessions now uh we just we completed a uh, session three so uh Okay, so uh, how's your game going? I feel not not too bad. Uh, haven't haven't actually killed anyone yet, but that's soon to come. But patience, patience, yes, patience. It is. But uh, yeah, from uh, feedback I've got so far, um, I feel feel it's going good. So, were you nervous when you did your first run? I did. Uh, I did enough prep. Um, nah, there there was definitely a few hiccups, and uh, where all the players and myself are still learning the system. You know, everything's a little slow and clunky, but uh, I, I feel pretty confident. Okay, so you did a lot of prep. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to expand on that a bit? Yeah, tell us a little bit about how your uh, prep went, because um, you you were well prepared for this game. Like we, Jack and I, both play in it. And um, mm-hmm. it is quite uh, quite well prepared, well done. So I'm really actually impressed about that. Um, so uh, after everybody kind of started getting their characters made up, kind of figured out where the uh, strengths and weaknesses of the group would be and kind of tried to plan the uh, combats accordingly and uh, as far as what kind of uh, skills and whatnot would be needed to get through different challenges, tried to plan around that. Um, module has a lot of good resources, but they've done some weaknesses like a lot of the maps kind of suck. Um, so using the module and some new maps to give a little bit more versatility and exploration and combat. Um, so you're using a module? Yes. Which one? At least as a skeleton. Right. What, what module are you using? It is a uh, Reach of the Empire. Okay. How was, uh, how was that pan out for you? Did you like the way that it was? Because it was written by Paizo, so there might be some opinions on the layout. How did the module like look and feel when you like approached it? Have you have you read other modules? A few, uh, not from Paizo though. Um, as far as the feel, most of it, I'd say I I like it. My only complaint would be a lot of their pre-done maps. Um, but some of them are literally like. 20 foot by 30 foot, you know, little tiny maps that uh, don't give a lot of room for uh, 
challenge. But other than the maps, the rest of it is had a lot of information, a lot of tools, and uh, the maps that look make life a lot easier. The map looks like stunning. So uh, when I was playing in the game, the maps looked amazing. So what what about the maps did you not like? So those were maps I uploaded and created and set up the dynamic lighting. Mm. Um, so those were maps that I I put together. Oh, so, okay, so those didn't come with the module, then? No. Okay. The, the module does come with them, and you could definitely use them, but I wasn't I wasn't very un impressed with module maps. Mainly just due to, to size. If it was a smaller group, maybe, like, like a two, two three-person group, module maps would probably work, but especially a, more of like a five, six-person group, it would be, it'd be cramped to begin with. Sorry about that. We're having some uh, technical. Okay, cool. Sorry, we had my camera flipped on us, and I had to fix that. And I had to. Uh, I forgot that when you put a ca new camera into OBS, it automatically starts recording or recording sound for it. So I was getting sound from both ah. Discord and my camera. So I had to mute the camera one. So apologies for that. Um, we should be back on track now, though. Thanks, uh, Alice, for bringing that up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you did a lot of work. You put a lot of effort. It looked really polished for your first time. Um, did you have fun doing that? Did you have Did you have fun doing all the prep? Did you have fun running the game? Was there more fun to either or of those madnesses? I actually had fun all all the way around. Um, trying to make sure, say the the combat encounters I had planned were challenging, but doable um i had been uh challenged in discord saying it's impossible to kill people in starfinder so uh <laughs> i we have a... i think I've, all, I've, I've already uh proven proven that to be uh pretty pretty incorrect yeah. it's challenging especially to keep them not doubt no one's nobody died. died but they could have it was close yeah it was, it was yeah, very close <laughs> um definitely decided to do some non-lethal attacks there i liked i liked that approach to it yeah, I mean, we talked about this in Discord a bit as well. Um, you know, this is kind of advice to any GM out there in that as the GM, you you kind of do control when the players do die, right? Like, you don't even have to fudge dice to make that happen. Like, uh, you know, if, if, if it looks like there's going to be a TPK on your hands, try to you could try to come up with a, a different way of going about it. Like, maybe the players were captured or something, and that kind of prevents or provokes a new story or adventure hook that if they escape mm -hmm. from imprisonment or whatever. Um, and sometimes that kind of like death is like the least interesting thing that can come out of a game, right? Like once everyone's dead, the game's basically, basically effectively over, right? For those, that character group. So it's more interesting sometimes if you spawn some kind of adventure out of being captured and you're, you still are taken out, right? You are still, uh, you know, defeated, but it doesn't necessarily need to be death, so to speak. And I think that sometimes death is the most appropriate, but I think that, you know, having that toolkit in your back pocket is a, is a good thing to good idea for a GM. I, mm. I would say that uh, death is only the beginning, John. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yes. Sometimes, sometimes the TPK is uh, exactly what the party needs. Um, mm -hmm. If there's no cohesion, no teamwork, yeah. every man for themselves. Um, and then, you know, death is not not the end in a any kind of tabletop RPG game. I mean, the big big bad that got them, if they're a vampire, then is that really the end? No, because they probably made them all their slaves, mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, Which in that there. case, if you did, uh, you know, go the death route and they big new characters, now they have the ch possibility of fighting their old characters. Which could also but be it, fun. So. It's, it's it's funny you bring that up because in a game I just completed, uh, it's a Curse of Strahd game, and I love it. Um, most of our fatalities have become bosses. Like we almost got TPK'd by a former former P PC character that became a vampire. Yeah, and uh, another one is now has basically replaced the end boss because uh, they made some very poor choices. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. You can do some really fun stuff, yeah. Yeah. 
And you were kind of leaning that way, I saw in that encounter where, um, you know, the counter was kind of, we talked about this before the stream, but the counter was kind of designed with the idea that we'd have our full party there and we were down one member and that mm -hmm. one member happened to be like one of our best fighters. Um, mm -hmm. And you kind of took that, I, like when one of our uh, colleagues went down, you, you knocked him out non-lethally and tried to drag him away, which I thought was a really good way about that because, you know, the story we're going through right now is that, you know, these, these, these group of people, so I guess, are trying to take over this colony, and capturing makes a lot of sense there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They want they want some intel. Yep. Who are you guys? Who sent you? Yeah. Uh, John, what do you think about uh, them making new character sheets? What if they don't make new character sheets? What if instead they, after they die, they keep on playing? How do you feel about that? They come I back as the vampires. They come back as undead. They they don't have to make new characters. They're just. I think every, if everyone's on board with it, and the GM could think of a way to make it make it work. I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Um, it's going to be a lot of work on the GM. He's probably got to restructure. They've probably got to restructure the story quite a bit to make it fit. Uh, maybe the current story is just scrapped, and you go with you know something else entirely. Um, but I, I think it's doable, uh, and I think as long as everyone's on board with it, I think it's perfectly viable. But why, why? What do you think about it? Um. I've been trying to do that in the Takasia game for ah. a year or so now. <laughs> I've I've actually done it twice, although it's just been it's been so under the radar. What do you think about it, Tramer? Uh, Brandon? I I think uh I think overall it's a phenomenal concept, kind of leaves a lot of room to play. You could use a lot of different mechanics to kind of build off of it, kind of on a similar concept. This was a game quite a while ago. Um, I wouldn't quite say it was a TPK was more planned from the beginning, but the the entire concept of the game is uh, the party was brought back to life by a necromancer, so they're all undead and essentially serving the uh, the necromancer. And from there, you kind of have choices whether just to do as ordered or try and uh, resist and uh, take uh, take uh, out the undead necromancer. Undead campaigns There's... can be really fun mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. I want to play in that game. That sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're often they often tend up end up being evil campaigns, but they don't necessarily need to be. I mean, it could be a redemption arc. Yeah, exactly. So, mm -hmm. but exactly. so uh, tell us about your game. What happened in it? Uh, let's see. So far, um, the uh, players have uh, made it to the destination where they were uh hired to make a delivery of supplies to a frontier planet and then uh pick up supplies in a passenger a uh former client uh definitely a good uh, major acquaintance of the party when they arrived there though they were met by a uh, hostile drones uh, they took care of those, though when they attempted to make landfall, they uh, found themselves under fire from uh, mounted weapons. After circumventing them and landing a ways off, they uh, tried to make it toward the colony, though have found several challenges between uh, local fauna and uh, search parties sent out. Um to just find uh, the ship that it attempted to approach. Uh, so first few sessions have been very combat heavy, so we'll get into some uh, plans for some a uh, little bit more uh, social interactions here coming up. But uh, so far, the party's done, done pretty good. They haven't done much to avoid combat, but uh, <laughs> hey, combat's fun. I actually think <laughs> that having a combat heavy you know first couple sessions have actually been kind of nice especially because our first combat was actually ship combat um mm -hmm. and i don't think anyone in the group has played starfinder before right yeah i, I think so. all of us are newbies to it so it was actually kind of nice to really drill in the combat rules to us and then also get our feet wet with ship combat which is something completely unlike any of the things you find in like 5e or pathfinder 2e um, even like the third party supplements for like airship combat and stuff that I've seen in like 5e uh, don't even compare to the detail that this ship combat in Starfinder has. So 
it was uh it was definitely a, a high learning curve for the ship combat specifically but it was fun it was different it was unique it was challenging um i mean we almost got taken out by a group of drones in our full-fledged ship i'll uh, say which was we, got, we almost got taken out we, we took four you guys, full damage you guys didn't do bad they 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 managed to get through your shields but they really didn't do too much to to the hulls yeah you guys didn't do bad I, I was really impressed with the ship combat. Um, it's it's an interesting mixed bag because before I had even played Starfinder, I had heard the chief complaint about some of the roles that you get kind of pigeonholed into can be a bit boring. I was the engineer, and if anyone has played Starfinder, then you probably know there are some complaints about that. I actually didn't mind it. I got right into the, I guess you could say the mindset of being the engineer in the engine room. I thought that was fun. Um, yeah, I think uh, some of the support the support roles on the ship. Um, so, so for those of you who aren't familiar with Starfinder ship combat, uh, each party member fills some slot in the roles of the ship. So, like there, one person's the captain, one person's the could be like the first officer, or first mate, or whatever. One person, you know, multiple people can, multiple people can fill multiple these roles for two, right? So, like you could have like two engineers if I remember correctly. So you could have engineers, you could have science officers, you could have, I forget the other ones off the top of my head, gunners, um, and pilots, for instance. Um, and you, once you pick one of those roles, you're kind of set in stone there for that for that combat. You don't really change around too much. Um, you can, like, go to move off your station and go to, like, a gun for a, a spare gun or something, for instance, to make some attack rolls. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're not, if your character's not built around gunnery so much you're not going to do that great at it anyway um but a lot of the support roles like uh science officer and engineer for example i feel like at, at level one they don't have a whole lot to do um they, i mean they have they have actions they can take but those actions aren't incredibly useful they're pretty niche in what like their use cases mm -hmm. um but i did notice that like looking forward once you get higher in level like I think level six around there you start to get some a lot more interesting actions than those support roles. And that's that's the big thing is it is kind of dry at low levels. Yeah. As you get up there, there there are a few things I've kind of thought about possibly adding some actions, especially for the support roles. Yeah. Because a lot of it depends on what you're going against. If you're going against another crewed ship, there's a lot more actions than say mindless drones. Yeah. Um or other horrors of space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I did find uh, in regards you can't to like communicate with them that takes a lot of actions that a lot of the support people yeah. can no longer do. Yeah. Was the were the drones from the module or did you uh did you brew that? Uh the drones were from the module. Um I ended up giving you guys a bit higher tier vessel than level ones are supposed to have, so I definitely uh added more of them. Um, but that was kind of geared toward you guys aren't going to have the opportunity to make major modifications as you level up on this planet where it is a very, very young frontier colony. Mm -hmm. There's there's no space station. There's no spaceport. Uh, you guys are as far in the boonies as you can possibly be. Um, that so way I can throw some cool stuff at you. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, I noticed uh, character in terms of like character creation though it was very. Um, they had a lot of neat classes, uh, but I felt like all the classes I looked at at least they were very a very linear progression path. It it, it very much felt like a step back from like Pathfinder Two E, where you have like all these different feats and you can like choose exactly how you grow. You still have feats in Starfinder, very much akin to like three point five E style, but um, I don't know. I felt like as you level up and as you build your character, you have less of a flexibility in how you build it and more of like you get, it's more akin to like a 5e where you can like, where you get these abilities at certain levels. And then you may have a few feats here to choose, you know, here and there, but um, I, I'm very much anticipating a Starfighter 2e at this point because I, I love the game and I think that it would benefit so much from a Pathfinder 2e style character I, system. I, I won't lie. There's there's a lot of stuff within Starfinder I I wish was closer to 2E, the action economy system and mm -hmm. like the um, some of the leveling stuff though, you can definitely tell um, 
Pathfinder, or I mean, Starfinder is essentially a, a precursor. Precursor to two E, because you see a lot of stuff from essentially Pathfinder one E, which it's based off of, and stuff that looks like kind of they tried that led to two E. Yeah, yeah, um, I definitely see the the lineage mm-hmm. there and like the yeah. It seems like there's definitely stepping stones between. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, especially someone coming from three point five. I played Pathfinder three point five for so long that. When I go to Starfinder, I can see it's like it's the spork, it's the missing link between Pathfinder mm-hmm. One and Two E, and yeah. I'm really glad that like Starfinder is around because that stuff that they play tested is it's clearly like they, they learned from what worked from their all their play testing that they were able to build Pathfinder Two E. So that's one of the with... the most amazing things about Paizo, uh, in, in you know in terms of being a, a content creation company like that is that they really do care about what their players think and they really do take the feedback they get to heart. Um, that's one of the biggest criticisms to like wizards, wizards of the coast versus like Paizo that I've seen on like Reddit and such. And is that wizard of the coast, they put out this unearthed arcana stuff. that's usually pretty broken. People get feedback. And then once they release it, it's generally either not, not even like touched up at all, or it's, it's touched up but in completely different ways than the feedback suggests that they do it. And the players are still usually not like, super happy with it. So that's an inter- it's an interesting separate or difference, I guess, between how Paizo approaches their playtesting versus how Wizards of the Coast does. Um, um, would you say that Wizards is kind of trivializing the previous stuff and they want you to focus on the new thing so that they, you buy that new product and play that new thing? I wouldn't say they trivialize the previous stuff. I would say that there's there's, a, there's definitely a, um, what's the term I used before? Uh, like a power bloat or something. Uh, mm, that's what I that's what I was going to point out. Which kind of does go into what what Jack is saying is a lot of the new classes, which are really cool and fun to play, but if you kind of compare power them relatively power wise, the new classes are always objectively more powerful so it does entice people to get all the new books and all that which i understand it's a valid business strategy it's effective i also don't know if it's on (laughs) purpose for that reason i don't know if it's like it could also just be that they're learning more about their system and i don't know it's hard to it's hard to pin them with that you know what i mean like it could very much be not on purpose they're doing that but i wouldn't put it past hasbro which is the coast, so is what it is. Um, they have a lot of upper management, so a lot of those decisions that, yeah. that are being made, we have to, you know, you have to, that has to be padded with the concept of how many, you know, upper CEOs, uh, people are dealing with this decisions, you know, are they even involved in the creative process? Are they finalizing it? Or are they just rubber stamping it? Yeah. Or whereas you look at like the creators with Python and they're like, you could ask, you know, um, who is the leader? What's her name? Jesse? She's the current president of uh, Paizo. Uh, I think she's still there, yeah. She's still the head. Like, she's clearly still involved in all of the processes. And you can tell the difference between this conglomerate and a smaller company. Yeah, I mean, Paizo, it's it's a it's, you know, relatively big company in terms of, like, the stuff they put out. But in terms of, like, size of the company and, like, who they answer to, they're, they're very much an indie company still. Like, they don't, I don't mm-hmm. know how many actual investors they have, but... You know, they're definitely, you can tell they still have a lot of control on the stuff they put out. And that's, that's a really good thing, in my opinion. Um, it's going to be hard for them to stay that way if they, you know, if they keep growing. But uh, we'll see what happens there. I kind of akin it to, like, a double-A uh, studio in video games. Like, you have your big triple-A's, you have your, like, one to three people, you know, single-A indie studios. And then maybe you have, like, your Paizos, which are, like, a double-A, right? Um, hmm that's how I kind of put it to an analogy. But, um, so you seem to be having a lot of fun running this. I mean, at least that's the vibe I get, you know, as a player in your game. Um, and obviously, us players are having fun. Jack and I have been raving about it. But is there anything you don't particularly or you felt wasn't fun in like the prep process or running the game or maybe something you didn't like about the system? We already talked a little bit about some of the shortcomings of like the more 3.5e inspired stuff that you'd like to see lisa stevens thank you um i mean nothing 
nothing I'd say really have disliked. I mean, you know, there's been some time management challenges, you know, between work and stuff and making the time. But um, beyond that, uh, I mean, finding uh, finding token art or f- tracking down cool maps. Um, How fun, much time uh, do you think you spend, spend a week? Isn't too bad. Um, I need to spend more time on... Uh, forge i've been playing around on forge making some maps on that oh really that's cool yeah yeah for for those of you who don't know forge vtt is a is a foundry as a service basically instead of having to host your own foundry vtt instance it basically hosts it for you and lets you it's kind of like a roll 20 version of foundry so normally with foundry you just buy the software then you have to figure out how to host it yourself forge kind of like turns it into a service where you can go in and find groups Buy, buy assets, all that stuff. So it's it's a lot more convenient. Mm-hmm. More expensive, but more convenient. Um, how much time would you say you spend a week in prep for your game? Given that you use so um, many like, maps and tokens and whatnot. I spent quite a bit of time on week one. But largely because I didn't expect the combats to take quite as mm-hmm. long. So... Uh, Probably the week one prep I got done, I'll probably be good until like week six. Yeah, <laughs> nice. But um, but from there, you know, I've been working on other stuff, getting further along at the moment. Uh, I mean, probably the week one, I probably spent a good uh, 10, 20 hours. Oof. Um, from there, I mean, a couple. From there, it's been more like, you know, two, three hours a week. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, at the beginning of a campaign. It's always hard, especially with a you know a new game or a new group of players, because you don't really know what to expect. So you kind of have to a little over prep a bit and hope for the best. But mm-hmm. uh, so I definitely sympathize there. Exactly. I think I I'd say it couldn't have gone better. Um, like you said, it so far it seems like everybody's having fun, and I've got plenty of uh content and such and. Uh, it's always better to be over prepared than under prepared. Definitely, and two to three hours a week isn't that bad, really. The grand scheme, mm-hmm. it's pretty good. I'm sure once uh once I get a uh, more to the point on uh where I was originally prepped for, you know, I'll have to start devoting a bit more time again. But uh, keeping ahead of the curve. What do you say um, the most fun you've had in it? Is there anything that explicitly stands out as like this was a blast there, or this was like my favorite combat that I ran for sure, or anything like that? Uh, kind of like what you noted before, I I definitely enjoyed the ship combat. I think, though, there's a few little tweaks to the, like like we had discussed that could be done action wise. But um, I thought it was I thought it was a lot of fun the way that it's set up. So, um, I definitely look forward to adding more kind of uh, vehicular combat because uh, I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I. I'm interested, so I haven't actually like fully grokked the entirety of the rules of Starfinder yet. So is there like um, land vehicle combat as well rules for that? Or is it, is it more, is it less structured than like a ship combat? Is it more like a, you know, typical For the, for the most point, challenge? it's, it's going to be the, the same, it, it uses the exact same system. Oh, okay. So uh, it's still mm-hmm. just as involved with the ship combat where you're like having to mm-hmm. rotate and move and everything. Okay, so that's really cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely I definitely like to, you know, get more seat time, so to speak, with the uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> with the ship and the vehicle combat. That sounds like a really fun thing. And it's different, as I mentioned before, so it's something you don't get in other games as much. So. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jack? Is there anything you're particularly liking about Starfinder as a player? I love and hate the the ship combat. That is like the most exciting part of it so far. Um, I had a lot of ideas. I think we talked about it already. Um, Brandon, did you um, or were you thinking about adding any of the um, options in ship combat, like for future games down the road? Were you interested in in seeing other options that the roles could be played? You mean like the combat? the stuff that's in the extension books? That and Rumbrew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely something I'm considering. The thing at this point is where I'm, I'm just as new to the, the system as all the players is it's hard figuring out the 
balance on the homebrew. Something could seem like a really good idea, but ends up being totally game breaking because it's it's hard to make that judgment without more experience. So as we get more <laughs> more combats in, kind of see how some of the, the actions work. There's definitely a lot of um, interesting uh, homebrew action economy and such that I think would be very that could be very fun. At, at this stage, it's just it's again it's just trying to balance out how it affects the long game yeah. and the, and works along with say skills and action economy get down the road. Um, how are how is it going to get a kind of a meta magic in? Right. You always have to worry about balance too. Like when you when you start tweaking mm-hmm. tweaking like fundamental aspects of the game, um, I don't know. I always worry that like I'm gonna screw something up in a way I didn't anticipate, and it's gonna have like broader mm-hmm. uh, consequences than I anticipated. Um, That's so the chaos. You just gotta welcome the chaos. John. Yeah, I know. It's pretty I'm, cool. I'm always chaos. screwing up the the power in my games because it's. <laughs> I know, but fun. I'm a, I'm a very much uh, when it comes to game design and stuff. I'm very much a by the rules person. I like consistency and and rules in my games. So that's just kind of like a philosophy I take. So and I, I completely understand not all GMs are like that. So, you know, each their own. But I'm just saying like me personally, that's something I always worry about when I'm tweaking like if I'm tweak if I'm like creating monsters or creating archetypes, stuff that can be tweaked over time. It's not a big deal. But like when I'm changing fundamental systems in the game, I always worry about that kind of stuff. But so long or short answer, yes. I definitely plan on adding additional actions because kind of like what's been mentioned a few times, up until level six, and even there, a lot of the, the actions are kind of dry for the support roles, mm-hmm. which is why in a lot of games, everybody says, just jump on a gun. Yeah. And that's that's what a lot of times happens. So making the support roles more appealing and giving them more to do, I think mm-hmm. definitely has value. I didn't. I didn't think about that. Just jump on a gun. I love it. Uh, was that? Mm-hmm. Did you get that advice from somewhere? Uh, just reading stuff on um, Reddit and stuff like that. So that's a lot of times in later, later end or you know mid to end game campaigns. A lot of times it's just uh, that's all the party's doing is everybody is just uh, shooting guns and a lot of the rules kind of uh, <laughs> get ignored. They just go out the window. So mm-hmm. speaking of shooting guns, um, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm shooting guns. Mm. Um, I'm sniping. And um, this would be the first time I've gotten to really do what like I was trained to do. I, I'm used to being able to shoot 300 yards, and I have yet to play a single game where I feel like I'm accurately shooting at a great distance. And with the sniper option, 750 feet, it's it's not bad. I like that option. Uh, level mm-hmm. one, I can snipe, and um, it has some interesting um, would you say trade-offs as far as uh, balance and power because one little mouse with a sniper rifle can you know take out three dudes before the conflict ever starts. Mm-hmm. If he rolls well, or if they roll well, right? I. <laughs> so I think I think uh, I haven't used the sniper rifles in the game, but I believe after like. 150 yards or something, or they, 150 feet, they, um, you get, start getting penalties to your rolls, is that correct, or something like that? So, so the snipers have some interesting things, so they've got a standard range, so say if you're just shooting from the hip, mm-hmm. and then from there they have a sniper range, so if you use your move action to essentially aim, then it gets a new range, so say, you know, 250 feet. Um, which I believe is the one that uh, Jack is utilizing. So you have to use additional action economy to get that additional range. And then there's furthermore additional weapon enhancements that can add to that. I see. Like tripods and such. I do like that there's like a weapon attachment system, Starfinder. It's Mm -hmm. a really, really neat facet to me. I feel like the weapon attachment system was like the birthplace of the runes for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. It very much much could be, yeah. I'm excited to see where Starfinder 2 goes. <laughs> we just started playing Starfinder 1, and we're already like, where's the second one? <laughs> we, we want more. <laughs> um, I mean, they're still putting out books for it, so it's mm. obviously still at the top of the radar. So I'm sure uh, they're yeah, thinking the about book. it at this point. Did you see the new Junkmancer? What's it called? Anybody uh, I saw something about it on Instagram. On their Instagram, they posted like a yeah, picture I of haven't, it. 
I haven't looked at it in detail, but I did see I did see yeah. some content on it. They're just they're still pumping out. So it's like Starfinder is I don't think Starfinder is dead. Um I'd I'm... have to look back at history. Does anybody remember like the there was there was no real brief period between fourth edition and fifth. They were still pumping out fourth edition content when fifth all of a sudden like was was I... there like a hiatus or was there a I don't remember there I being... don't recall either. Um, I know they I slowed really down on fourth that. edition content because it wasn't as popular as a game, but I don't recall if they kept making it right up to five E was released. Um, and so, yeah, like, Pathfinder, was making, know, but... Pathfinder was making content for quite a while, then they dropped Starfinder. They've been making Starfinder content all this time, and I don't remember how big of a gap there was between Pathfinder one content and two E. So I should look at that, but that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I didn't really play much Pathfinder 1E, so I, I didn't really pay much attention to it. Uh, that'd be a good good uh, piece of information, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what kind of patterns can be identified? I am uh, going back to the weapon attachment thing, though. And then the RPG I'm working on, I am kind of taking some of those ideas and thinking about how they could fit into like a fake context with weapons and whatnot. So that'll be kind of interesting to play with, but I really, I really, really like that facet. Um, and it's not just guns, right? Like you can add attachments to other things too. Like, and there's also like cybernetics and all that stuff. So it's there's, oh, a, yeah. there's the, a lot of thought the list into of, all that. Yeah, the list of weapon upgrades and enhancements and weapon manufacturers. Mm-hmm. You can customize weapons to a ridiculous degree. And every book they release has like. New, new stuff like that too, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not, you know, focused on that kind of thing. That is one thing I like about the Starfinder books. I've actually, I kind of, I went to a new um, game store that reopened, I guess, after the whole, you know, pandemic thing. And, uh, you know, I thought I'd help them out a bit. So I'm like, I'm going to buy a few RPG books. So I bought like a stack of Starfinder books. Uh, Various like add-ons, like operations manual, a uh, character operations manual, some of the starship combat ones, one of the couple of the bestiaries, the alien archives, like they call the Starfinder. Um, and I noticed that all of the rule books have like a little bit of everything in them, even if they're not focused on that thing. So I thought that was really, really cool. Um, you can tell they really put a lot of love into that content, and it's oh yeah. I'm sure it's only a matter of time before we get a 2E. How soon that'll be, it's hard to say. I think the game came out like 2016, so like right before Pathfinder 2E, which is interesting. That, sa- that sounds about right. Which is why, or my, if we, if we, look. If we, yeah, we take a look at the markets, and we could probably predict when we'll see a Starfinder 2. I mean, but of course, 5E, 5e was released. Yeah, 5E was released in 2014. And there are there's already players talking about oh when's sixty coming out when's sixty coming out. Personally, I think if they if they were to release sixty, they very much risk shooting themselves in the foot there. Five E mm-hmm. is such a behemoth right now that if they yeah. if they move on from it, uh, it's very risky, especially if they start to do things differently because people might not like it as much. And if you think about it, everyone starts with five E these days. It feels like, and if. It- like if they made a 60, it's hard to say that everyone would start with 60. You know, I, now 5e I, people are already reluctant to switch to other systems because they love 5e so much, which is fine. That's their own prerogative. Um, but 6e would be another system at that point. You know, I don't know yeah, how many what's... 5e people will be willing to switch to 6e when we already see a lot of them not willing to look at other systems with a close eye, I, right? I think I think you're exactly right, and I think that's what they're essentially testing with their new. Uh, well, what's the new version of Five E, the crunchier version? Oh, um, <laughs> advanced Five E or whatever. It's yeah, it's not yeah, by it's not by uh, Wizards though, right? It's by a third party studio. I don't know if Wizards is involved in that or not. To be honest, they, yeah. they probably are um, behind it, backing it. Um, I'm. I would have to look more into it. I honestly haven't looked much into it. I mean, I'd assume they'd have to be because, uh, I mean, Wizards of the Coast keeps a pretty uh, close eye on all their content. Yeah. I mean, they have it all under the OG. Well, not all. That's actually another nice thing about Paizo is, and uh, so another difference between 5e and Pathfinder and really Starfinder, any of the Paizo stuff, is that 
they're both under the OGL, but in 5e, only very specific stuff is under the OGL. And whatever's in the SRD, the system reference document, is under the OGL. Everything else is not. So like, if you look at the SRD and the stuff that's under the OGL, only like one uh, subclass of each class, only like one heritage of each race uh, is is in, is, you know, covered under the OGL. Whereas with Paizo, literally everything that isn't part of Lost Omen specific is part of the is part of the OGL. That's why we have things like Nethys, which uh, Paizo is you know pretty much sanctioned at this point. But um, it has everything under there because literally everything that's not Lost Omens lore specific is part of the OGL. And they can and even like non Nethys uh, wiki sites have all this stuff as well, and they're perfectly legally able to. So that's another place where Paizo difference differentiate itself from like Wizard of the Coast is that they're more willing to release their content for free. Whereas like with 5e, you end up having to and you know there's not from business sense this makes total sense. So I don't I don't condemn Wizards for doing it like mm -hmm. this. But you have to um you know if if you are making third party content for 5e, if be very careful about which stuff you use and which stuff you don't use. Um, yeah. And also you know the D D Beyond stuff is kind of a a sticking point for a lot of even 5e players where you know a lot of these people buy these books and they have to buy them again on DD beyond and then they buy them again on roll 20 whereas paizo is releasing like basically all their stuff if you buy their stuff once off their website you get like everything kind of deal which is you kind of nice there yeah it's it's the difference is that cash grab i can kind of see i that like the history of World of Warcraft, the online MMO sensation, is kind of like I feel like in the same boat financially and with their market as Fifth Edition is. Well, World of Warcraft right in the fucking tank. Sorry, not to be cuss, but in the tank financially right now because of the whole recent thing. But let, let me uh, let me explain. They're in that same phase where at the end of uh, Wrath of Lich King, the beginning of Cataclysm where they are at the biggest player base they've ever been, where there's huge continuous growth and they've been releasing content. They've really, they've been releasing content. They are consistent, not nearly as much as say, you know. Yeah. I don't know if you, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the stuff recently. World of Warcraft's down to like 2 million players right now. It's, it's I'm the, it, very up to date on it. And this is what I'm predicting is that if they don't create a sixth edition, mm -hmm. that is what they're going to see. Yeah. Is they're going to see fifth edition tanking because it's going to be, so out of date i mean if you look at say like a call of duty franchise they don't branch out at all what they do is they let other indies their development companies make new shooting games with new physics with new things and then they incorporate that into their next game the next year because they're making a new game every year yeah. or two right and fifth edition is going to be alienate and become further and further away from the rest of the tabletop rpg company because Pathfinder is over here saying, what about three actions? Fate over here is saying, you know, the the way that we do things is very, very different. Call of Cthulhu, you know, yeah. player attachment, no, you get to die. Um, and they keep <laughs> offering these different things, and Path, uh, Fifth Edition is over here in its little bubble, and it's slowly going to start to rot. Yeah. Call of Duty 5 <laughs> Fifth Edition ups. Yeah, basically like that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it very much does feel like a lot of the end, a lot of the community is gravitating towards these narrative style games or like narrative RPGs like Fate or Call of Cthulhu or um, what's some other ones like Pat, uh, what's the PTB? Something by the Apocalypse. I can never remember that acronym. I, I, can, I picture the acronym, I can never remember what it stands for. Um, Powered by the apocalypse uh, system, and I, I see, I see where Five E tried to go a little bit in that direction, but I feel like they only went halfway there, and now they're in a now they're in a spot where they're they're not really either place. They're kind of like this in this weird weird like middle thing where it's not really good. It, I mean, it's not really especially good at the narrative side of things and it's not really especially good at the more gamey combat side of things or you know like crunchier stuff it's just kind of like in this middle where it's kind of like mediocre at both things but it's such a big mainstream thing that it's kind of like i don't i don't know it's just kind of this behemoth in the industry that 
kind of ha- doesn't really have a, a really a, a unique pl- niche that it's carved out. It's just kind of like taken a little bit from over here and a little bit from over here, smashed them together, rolled them up in their hands, and this is kind of what you get. And people love it. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting. If you look at uh, Matt Mercer and you look at his shows, uh, what's what's that critical critical role critical show? I have watched some of their stuff, and I have to like ask myself a lot of times, like, are they really playing fifth edition? They are. Like. They the play- no, so the players have character sheets from fifth edition, and the GM is playing, you know, bringing stuff. But they are doing such a a theater style game. Oh yeah, a lot of it's very scripted. That's been confirmed already. Yeah, playing in Fate, they would benefit way better from playing in something less rule restrictive. So it's actually funny you mentioned that because um, Critical Role, the the first campaign they played and streamed. They started streaming it halfway through the campaign. Before they started streaming it, they were actually playing. Pathfinder 1e. Um, and they switched to 5e when they started streaming because it was less rules-intensive and would be easier to stream. Um, so that's actually funny you mentioned. Like, I mean, we all agree. that's 5th edition is easy to run. Yeah. it's. I mean, as a GM, 5e is incredibly easy to run. Um, but it's also incredibly frustrating to run because you feel like you're making shit up on the spot all the time without any help from the game. And that's my number one complaint as a GM. Uh, as 5e. I don't mind GMing 5e. Uh, throwing it out there, I'm not condemning the system at all. Um, but I, as a, as a, someone who enjoys making and playing games, I like to have structure in my stuff. Unless the game itself is designed in a way to not have that structure, but facilitate you in making those decisions without that structure. Like, Fate is a very good example of that. It It's very much anything goes with Fate. But the rule set around combat and around uh, inter- social interactions and encounters is designed in a way that makes that a lot easier and collaborative endeavor. So I don't feel like I'm on the hook for everything. Um, and I think that that's where narrative RPGs shine more is being a more collaborative experience. Um, and the rules are designed to be hand wavy and not you feel like you're going to break something if you are hand wavy. Hmm. What do we think, Brandon? Would you run a fifth edition game? Um, I mean, if I had if I had to pick, I'd probably stick between uh, Starfinder and a two E. But um, not to say I wouldn't consider it, but I, I definitely like the 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 Paizo systems better. But Again, I definitely like 5e, but um, mechanically, I I like I like the Paizo systems better. Yeah, I think but, I think a lot of people it, who Curse been, of Strahd. I like Curse of Strahd. <laughs> I think a lot of people who eventually give Pathfinder 2e or you know maybe Starfinder 2 a try eventually really end up really liking it. I think it's just getting those people to give it a try. That's the hard part. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, that doesn't I mean, mean like, that they necessarily dislike 5e afterwards, right? I mean, it's perfectly okay to like both systems. Like, I don't mind 5e. Yeah, yeah. As a player, I, I don't mind it either. Um, I just prefer Pathfinder 2e personally because of various things. Like, as a GM, the structure it gives you. As a player, the character flexibility and all that. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, let's see, what else we got on here? Oh, big one, big one, big one. Um, so now that you've had a few sessions, <laughs> I think Pathfinder's beginner's box can come with a lot of things that it probably doesn't already and could be improved a bit, but that's a session for another time. Their uh, beginner's box is uh, a little lacking in my opinion, but, um, oh, have you seen the Pathfinder beginner box that I got from, uh, or not Pathfinder, the Lines of Fandelver box, the starting box that I got for fifth edition. Yeah, it's it's not good either. Black luster. Yeah. I was so when I buy a box, I'm expecting, you know, to get things in this box. You and you're like, hmm, I like the weight of this box. There are gonna be some goodies in here. Yeah, there was a bag of dice, blue, standard chess X style dice, and tiny paperback pamphlets. One rule book and one like a map ish kind of like guide that was it the the 
rule book isn't even a full rule book. It's like the basic rules or whatever they call it. It's like a subset of the SRD, which is a subset of the rule book. 20 pages MX. Yeah. And it was it was tiny. It was very small. No minis, no tile sets. And I was like, why did I buy this? Yeah. <laughs> I could have bought a full on adventure and had a, a decent book that I could actually use later on to prop up my TV. Like, you can download the basic rules that are included in that box for free. Yes. Yeah. From their website. Uh, and I mean, if you're doing Pathfinder, you might as well just use Nethys because everything is available on there. Buy their books, and when you need to look up something when you're in game, Nethys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're playing online, the books are. I mean, if you're playing at the table, you're not gonna necessarily have the you know flexibility to look something up quickly on Nethys like you can in yeah. online. Brandon, did you use Nethys while you were playing your game? Oh, yeah. your game? How often oh, would yeah. you say you use Nethys when you're running your game? You've done three sessions, right? It's it's always up. You know what bothers me about Nethys and Starfinder, though? It's never the top, res- even close to the top result on Google, unless you explicitly put Nethys in your search result. I, I have it favorited, but yeah, if I have to look for it, I actually just look for Pathfinder 2E and then just swap over to the Starfinder. Because yeah. yeah, it won't, it doesn't, it doesn't search for some reason. Yeah, I always end up with the Starjammer SRD whenever I search Starfinder. And I'm like, this mm. isn't even the same game. <laughs> John, you would be pleasantly surprised to say or hear from me say that uh, my favorited selection, I don't know, it's my my cookies or something. Mm-hmm. My web Your browser, bookmarks. I go on to Nethys, it takes me to the Inevitables page. Nice. Every time. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I did. <laughs> I need to figure out how to do that. Um, but yeah, what? Uh, so you've got a few sessions under your belt now and, you know, you've got some experience. What uh, what information would you give to other new GMs? You know that are in a similar position to you were before you got started like what would you what advice would you give them to just you know to get started in their gm career hmm probably honestly just don't don't be all that intimidated a lot of it is just uh, having a good outline on where you want to get kind of knowing what information you want to give to the pcs to try and uh direct them and then kind of go from there and just kind of have some plan b's in mind for uh the uh, inevitable, unpredictable scenarios. Um, but really, yeah, the biggest thing is just uh, just go for it. It's really not that bad. Yeah, and I think I think uh, don't be intimidated is is a is a good good mindset there because I think that it is a very intimidating thing to people, especially people who aren't familiar with or experienced in like improv and stuff like that. Um, it's the same kind of advice I give to other people as other new GMs as well. Is like just try it, you know. Worst case, you don't like it, but no. I mean, most of the time, if you're a new GM, GMing for the first time, you're playing with new players as well. Most of the time, not always. But if you are playing with new players, they're not going to know the difference. They're not going to know that you're doing, you're messing up or whatever. So just roll with it. If you are playing with experienced players, they're going to understand this is your first time and they're going to be okay with you making mistakes. Like, you know, you're not playing with robots. You're playing with people and people have, well, most people have empathy, right? <laughs> Some people. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think you're totally right there. I think people should just dive in, give it a shot. You know, what's the worst can happen? Exactly. You're not going to ruin any friendships. And it's, uh, it was a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Get some uh, character creation under your belt. Make a new character. Mm-hmm. Cool. We got a surplus of characters in your game. So uh, we're coming up on the one hour mark here. I figure, what's the worst? Oh, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose a lot of bad things could happen, but you're not going to ruin any friendships with it by any means, I don't think. So It's just the same approach if you're starting a, to play a, a new card game, a new board game. You're getting down and sitting together with friends, usually for friends. Um, if you sit down and play any game with your friends, you guys are going to have fun. Sometimes mm-hmm. that needs to be like, that's a bit introspective, I know. It needs to be said. If you guys are sitting down to to do anything, you guys are probably gonna have to try to have fun. Yeah. Right. So you just you're just inserting a tabletop RPG in there. Um, everybody's gonna, you know, learn the rules, or some people, you know, already know the rules. That's not or a bad thing. Or some people are just not gonna learn the rules. You're just gonna some people just not deal with them the rest rules. of the game. That's fine too. <laughs> <laughs> you you learn who those people are real quick and yeah. you figure it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's funny thing about the people don't uh don't learn the rules is they don't know when you're not treating them fairly either. 
Alos brings up a fairly good point. Uh, Brandon, would you have started Starfinder with a bunch of randos, or did you? Did you, you know? Would you have started with a bunch of randoms? It would have definitely been a, a, a harder sell. Um, being able to start with people I, I've played with and kind of kind of know is definitely a pro. But uh, I think if push came to shove, I would. My first time was actually with a group of randos, except one person I knew. And they ended up becoming like some of my best friends when I lived in California. So, mm-hmm. um, I played with family for way too long before I played in, in an open setting with with pe- people I didn't. Well, this know wasn't an open setting per se. So I had a uh, a coworker when I worked at Sony, um, who was had this like game night with some of his neighbors slash friends at the time, and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had been playing board games, you know, every week for years, basically. And they're like, we want to play something new. Like, we want to play something other than a board game. And he, like, he knew I was really into D&D, so he hit me up. He's also a friend of mine, like, outside of work, too. So I, like, hung out with him many times already. Um, and he's like, hey, you know, you play D&D. Would you want to GM? I'm like, I've never GM before. I'm kind of hesitant. Um, I'm like, I'll think about it. I'm like, who am I GMing for? He's like, oh, it's me and some friends. And I, I'm like, yeah, I'll think about it. And I hit him up like an hour later. I'm like, hey, I'm like, screw it, let's do it. I'm like, what's the worst can happen? So I met like it was uh, let's see, it was four other people plus him plus me. So um, I'd never met any of them except that one guy. Uh, it was, but it ended up being a blast. Uh, they all had a lot of fun. Um, they were very much not like super serious tabletop RPGers, so they were you know in it just to screw around very much a skyrim style of play um but hey we had fun with it we had some you know turned into like a, had some drinks you know some food every week or whatever we did we played played that campaign say so i think we started with storm king's thunder with like a bunch of tweaks on my end we played for like two years i think and then we started a homebrew campaign and played another year and then it kind of fizzled out at that point they were getting they weren't having as much fun with it and i was like all right, well, whatever. We can always come back to it later. Um, we play some one shots after that every now and then just to, just to have some fun. But yeah, it was it, it ended up working well. Heck yeah, definitely uh, intimidating. But same kind of advice I'd give to that: like, just dive in. If you, especially exactly. if you don't know them, I feel like there's really nothing to lose. Because worst case, you disappear mm-hmm. and never see them again, right? Like, <laughs> it was fun. Bye. So. So uh, we've got upcoming events. Um, there's going to be Gen Con. I don't know if you guys have heard. John and I are super stoked to go. Yeah, I'm super excited. So Never been. Be, always wanted to go. We'll I wish updated. it was in LA like it used to be. It'd be a lot easier than going all the way to Indianapolis. But yeah. I'm looking forward to a nice vacation in Indianapolis. Yeah. Vaccinating. We're going to check out. Uh, so that will affect the uh, next month. Um, we will probably be doing more content and bringing you guys news. So stay tuned for that. I will um, also be in PAX at PAX West uh, at the beginning of September. Um, so I don't know how much tabletop stuff we'll have this year since I think the event as a whole is going to be a lot smaller because of the whole pandemic thing. But I'm going to take my camera and my mic and see if there's anything worthwhile filming while I'm there. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But. Yeah, look out for that. Um, we do have a new website also. I've, I've been like fiddling around with it uh, off and on. So it may like some things may disappear and then come back and stuff as I kind of just, you know, figure things out. But yeah, new website makes uh, going to make it easier for both Jack and I to produce content. Um, as co- sort of a test bed for that, I did release the new dancer archetype that I promised you guys for a long time now. Um, definitely give feedback on that. I'm open to changes with it after the community gives it you know their their once over so let me know what you think for sure the art on it is incredible um a, a very talented artist mm. did that for us so thank you to them um i don't have their name on hand or i would do a shout out i apologize if you're watching this <laughs> uh, <laughs> 17 feets nice um the dancer's really cool. I, I've already glossed over it. John and I haven't gone back and forth on it. Uh, I'm looking forward to play testing it. So uh, if you guys get a chance to check out 
the dancer archetype. Let it known to your players. See if they're interested in, in testing it. Give us feedback. Um, Thanks, awesome. You... Thanks to uh, Pathfinder 2E subreddit for a little assistance on uh, balancing one of the feats that are in there. Um, they were a huge wealth of information in that regard, so I really appreciate them for that. Let us know what you think on uh, Twitter or Instagram. Yep. Also, we're on Reddit. And again, this will go live on YouTube within the next couple of days, usually by tomorrow, but if you want to commit to anything, you know. Um, uh, what video are we doing next, John? Did you have that on the calendar? Uh, we do have it on the calendar, but I don't have it off the top of my head. Let's see. Uh, we have next week conditions. Talking about conditions and Pathfinder 2E. So that's, uh, that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> so um, uh, feel free to let us know what you guys are looking for about conditions, questions, current concerns, comments, yep. and um, any specific conditions you want us to go over. Uh, definitely <laughs> let us know. Uh, but yeah, till next time, happy gaming.